I'm about a quarter of the way through the book called The Courage to be Disliked. So I still have a long way to go, but the way that this book is structured is a little different than the way I'm going to set up this episode. I love the book so far because the way that it's set up, there's, I believe, a philosopher and a student. And I can't remember if he's like a teacher or a professor, but he talks a lot about philosophies. And the student comes to him and every conversation that they have, he is shifting the way that the student sees the world and other people. And The Courage to be Disliked as it relates to this book so far, it's a lot more about the philosopher being disliked by the student. He doesn't like what the philosopher has to say about the way that he sees people at all. I don't know if we've reached one conversation. I'm interested if there's a character arc that happens by the end of the book or maybe in the middle, there's something that starts to shift maybe, but I'm about a quarter of the way in and this student really hates that there's so much truth in what the philosopher is saying about the way that he's choosing him to challenge the way that he thinks about people. And in so many ways, the philosopher is not telling the student anything that he wants to hear, but it is so evident that it's everything that he needs to hear so that he can truly show up in life differently. And so that's why I'm calling this episode The Courage to be Disliked. And maybe by the end of it, you won't like me very much, but I hope that what I'm sharing with you is what you need to hear in order to challenge what you believe about yourself and what you believe about the way that you show up in relationships with other people and what you believe about the longevity of your relationships. I want you to walk away from this episode with the courage to be disliked. My first point, and I don't know if you've had a chance to go back and listen to my episode about boundaries, but I kind of think because we use the term boundary so often, it kind of loses the significance in everyday life. Or maybe it just comes across as off-putting. I don't know what you hear when I say the word boundaries, but I feel like sometimes in everyday conversations, it can be hard to talk about boundaries because it seems like you're stonewalling someone, right? Like the way that it gets brought up, especially if you're not comfortable with the concept of boundaries, it can come across as like, no, this person needs to stay over here. I'm going to stay on this side of the road. And I have this fence or this wall that I'm building between us so that we can't really experience life together. Like the boundary is supposed to keep us at a distance. <clears throat> and the reason why I say that is because if you're not comfortable talking about your boundaries, sometimes it can come across as though you are trying to keep people at a distance. Like somebody brings up something and you're like, ah, oh, it's kind of my boundary. I don't talk about things like that. Or, oh, that's a boundary for me. I'm not going to do that. Or I'm not going to say that. Or I'm not going to go there. Or you know, whatever it is. And I'm not saying that that is wrong. I'm just saying that that could be why 
if you did kind of put up a guard the moment you heard me say the word boundary, that could be your experience of communicating or hearing someone else communicate their boundaries to you. And so I want to use a different word. And this kind of shifted everything about the way that I talk about boundaries and it helped me get more comfortable with the concept of boundaries. And what I want to introduce is is the word constraints. And the reason why I think there's a lot more flexibility in there is because you can't really use the word constraints in everyday words, right? Like we use boundary in everyday language, but you're not really going to say, oh, that's a constraint I have, right? Like you got to figure a different way to talk about constraints because it's not an everyday language word. I guess you could, but this might encourage you to branch out. Now, the difference between boundaries and constraint, I think they're slight because boundaries, to me, there's nothing unhealthy about having boundaries, but you can build walls unnecessarily. And so that's really what I talk about in my episode about the four principles of building healthy boundaries is talking about the difference of building a wall and building a fence in your relationships. And that'll shift. That's like the first step that'll help you shift the way that you think about the word boundaries. But this is like pro level talking about constraints. It's like when you're ready to talk about building fences versus walls in your relationships, now we can start playing around with this concept of constraints. It's kind of too soon to do it before you understand what a boundary is and how to use it and how to feel comfortable with boundaries themselves. Now, what constraints are, are just a little less intimidating, right? Like a constraint in a relationship is just putting boundaries in place for yourself. So it has a lot less to do with the people around you and a lot more to do with becoming more self-aware about what your wants are and what your needs are. And that is why I think this whole episode is going to be about your courage to become disliked because we're no longer talking about only what you need, like what you need to do or what you need to restructure or reorient or reorganize in order to live the healthiest life for you. But it's also about your wants. And I think there's a lot of uncomfortability with advocating for your wants in a way that it's a lot more clear and easy to navigate your needs. So constraints. I think of constraints as a way to really open the door with communicating your wants in relationships. And this applies to any relationship. You can introduce a constraint. What it could look like is an active way to place or respect wants that you have and communicate those to other people in a way that's not off-putting. So for instance, at work, if you notice, for instance, that you're having trouble saying no to a particular coworker, right? Like they just are somebody that just has to be, maybe they're on your team, you have to work with them. You got to navigate how to work 
with them. It might help you enjoy your job better if you figured out how to work with them rather, but you have a hard time telling them no or respecting your boundaries because you don't feel like it's a need. It's more of a want. Like you just want them to stop asking you to take on their projects. You don't necessarily need them to, right? Like you're going to be showing up maybe at work eight hours, nine hours, no matter what. And maybe you work in a project-based environment, but you don't want to use or take on their projects. You want to explore other projects. So introducing constraints in that kind of relationship would look like such and such, maybe let's call her Barbara. Barb comes to you and she has yet another project of hers that she wants you to take on at work. You don't want to take on a bunch of her projects today. So you introduce a constraint. Hey, Barbara, thank you for thinking of me for this project. I have some other responsibilities, including my own work plan that I have to work through the rest of the day, but I do have an hour So if this project can be completed within the hour, then let me know. I would love to consider that. So see how it's not saying, oh, that's a hard boundary. I'm trying to have work-life balance and taking on your projects. It really just, it shifts that and it causes my work-life balance to become imbalanced. Like sometimes if we don't feel comfortable talking about boundaries, that's how we can choose to talk about them with other people. And it unintentionally creates walls in your relationships. Whereas introducing a constraint gives that person the ability to still come to you and you to still be perceived as approachable, but they have to navigate your wants too. You don't want to be working on their project the rest of the day. So if you are going to work on their project, then your constraint for that person would be within the next one to two hours, you'd be willing to work on a project from them. Now, just apply that to any other situation constraints, right? Like, let's say there's a person in your life, maybe a family member or a friend that is going to be in your life no matter what, right? Like, you're going to talk to them, you're going to have to talk to them, figure out a way to navigate a relationship with this person, But for whatever reason, you don't want to spend hours on end talking to this person. Maybe you don't have the time. Maybe, you know, like they're not somebody who after you get off the phone with them, you feel refreshed. Like they take a lot more than they're able to give in different ways in relationships. And I'm not just talking about money or physical, tangible items. I'm talking about they're just not a giving person with positivity or direction or, you know, just mutual affirmation, whatever it is that you look for in relationships that are valuable to you. That's not a person who's able to meet those wants and needs. And so introducing constraints in relationships like that would look like when that person calls, or maybe when you call them, you call them when you have a hard end. Like maybe you call them in the in the car because you have a 15 minute drive until you make it to your next appointment. And so you choose to call them. That way you have a hard end. You're still able to meet that initial desire or want of maintaining that relationship 
but the constraint allows you to have a boundary and still get your needs and wants met for that specific relationship. It could even happen with someone who's just long-winded. Like maybe they don't drain you in a sense that they're a negative person, but the moment you see their name pop up on your phone, you know that it's not just, you can never just have a 15 minute conversation. It has to go on for an hour at least. And you don't want to have an hour conversation even if you have an hour break, that's okay introducing a constraint looks like maybe you spend the first 45 minutes or 50 minutes of that hour that you might have open and then you call them back when you have only 10 minutes left and then when you start that phone call hey i saw your call or i got your voicemail i wanted to reach back out to you before i you know have to go into this appointment 10 minutes from now, you know, like, how are you doing? Or is there anything I can help you with depending on who it is, right? In another situation, this could be again at work, like maybe you have a want or a need with a client to build a relationship. This is really going to help you get to the next step. Like you're really ambitious. You want to grow at your job. And this important client only tells you that they have a window before your regular office hours. Like they don't have a lunch break. So they have time at 7.45 and maybe your day or your office hours begin at 8 a.m. You also leave the office at 5 p.m. This person, this client that you really want to work with says, hey, I can only, you know, talk about this at 7.45. Could you, is there any way you can make it work for me? What a constraint would look like is reinforcing the office hours that you have available and making them work around your constraint, right? Like they're able to voice their want. Their want is for you to come into work 15 minutes earlier or maybe stay an hour later. But a constraint would be making it still possible to have this working relationship with this client, but reinforcing the constraints by which it would work for you too. So it's coming back and saying, hey, John, I know, you know, you mentioned that you have time 745 or maybe at 6 p.m. My regular office hours are 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. I want to be flexible. I really, this is a priority to me as well. That is the time that I have available to you. Is there any chance that you could take a 15 minute break between eight and five and I can make those times work for you? I'll prioritize you first. I'll get you on my books first. So again, the difference between constraints and boundaries are that it really stretches your communication skills to not just say something as simple as, oh, like I wish, but, you know, I'm trying to have a better work-life balance. So that's, that's not really, that doesn't work for my boundaries. I'm going to have to, I have clear boundaries with myself, you know, like that could just make somebody feel like they can't approach you or it could cheat you out of more opportunities. Whereas when you think in terms of constraints, it's more navigating, how do I communicate what I do have available, like how I can make this work with this person, right? So it's 
why I call it the pro level. Like these, this is the big leagues with talking about boundary setting and boundary communication, because it's not just as simple anymore when you're ready to mature past the type of language that says, oh, that's a hard boundary for me, or nope, that's a boundary for me, or whatever. It kind of like puts your hand out. I wish you could see me on video as I'm talking about it, but you kind of like put your hand up, right? Like you're keeping people at a distance when you choose to keep that as the way that you choose to communicate or have language around the words of boundaries. But constraints, that's not a word you can use in everyday language. So it's really going to push you to grow and stretch and mature to that next level of saying, well, how can I make this work where I'm able to voice what my wants would be and how we can work together to meet both your wants as well as my own. What that is able to communicate to other people that you're having these conversations with is that not only are their wants important and should be considered and you want to value them, but your wants are just as worthy of being communicated to other people and respected by other people and considered and being thrown on the table. Why can't we both throw our wants on the table and figure out a way to work them both together. I think that's what the power of figuring out how to navigate constraints will do for you to help you mature to that next level. I think the caveat to this is that there is an element of it that could exclude you from further opportunities, right? Like the person, I think, to me, it's a false belief. Like, I don't know that this is 100% true. I think there's a lot of false correlations with this being true, that the people who are able to say yes and always make other people's wants work are the people who will be promoted faster or have more opportunities. And, you know, like, I'm not too dense to say that maybe that is true, but I also truly believe that there is significance in saying, well, that if that is true for them, then it's also creating a life for them that hopefully they want to be living, right? Like just because they're getting more access because they are making themselves more available, like what is their trade-off? Their trade-off then becomes their time. Their trade-off then becomes that they don't always get to have a voice because they're constantly making the voice of other people's louder than their own. They don't probably also know who they are because they're constantly having to navigate other people's wants and want that for themselves too. And so you have to decide if that's really the life you want to live. And if that's not true, then be okay with the fact that you're not going to get those same opportunities. It's not really the track you want to live anyway. And I think the moment I realized that for myself, the more I was, I was ready to introduce this idea of constraints. I was willing to be overlooked for those kinds of opportunities when I realized that, A, like it's gonna start me down a path of living a life that it doesn't appeal to me. I don't wanna live that. And so I'd, I now, I think where I'm at in my own maturity is I'm able to say, well, then that's not for me, <laughs> right? Like if that's not on the table because I don't want 
to live my life in that way, then that is not something that I want for my life. And I think you have to come to that same conclusion for yourself. You have to realize that the trade-off is only starting to weed through and filter out things that aren't going to be meant for you, that aren't going to even bring you happiness because you don't truly value them. And so don't let the discouragement of not having that same opportunity hit your table really take anything from you. Let it be something that you just choose to see as a blessing that it was able to be filtered out of your life. Now, my second point is I don't think you're too nice. I think you're a people pleaser. What I mean by that is I think When you grow up and you're just used to saying yes to people all the time, and maybe you truly are that laid back, right? Like, couldn't be me. (laughs) And I used to say that I'm like the most laid back person. And the more I get to know myself, the more type A I become. I just, I am not a laid back person, but I truly don't believe that the majority of people are laid back in the truest, purest form of the word. I think true laid back people, I'm just going to throw out my own data here and say that that probably makes up like 1% of the population. I truly don't believe that there are that many people that are laid back. I think we have a world full of people who are people pleasers. And I think culturally, it just varies by where you're at. You either are more culturally bound to be people pleasing with family members and people that are within your tribe, or you are more inclined to be people pleasers in the corporate world in order to get ahead and navigate it, or you're more inclined to be a people pleaser in relationships with friendships. I really think that makes up the majority of people in the world. I don't, I just don't buy into this idea that there are that many laid back people. So I'll say it again for the people who missed it. I don't think you're that nice. I think you're a people pleaser. And I think part of it maybe stems from a fear of not wanting to rock the boat, not wanting to have people who don't like you. And I say this with the utmost grace I can possible because I am in that boat. I literally had one of my coworkers who's become a really close friend and he was just like, Ramika, like, I mean this like in the kindest way possible, but you just love to be loved. And at first I was embarrassed by that statement because I was just like, man, like, do I come across as someone who is just desperate for people to like me or like a wooer or I don't know if you guys are familiar with that term, but a woo is somebody who likes to like win over people and be liked. And I was like, do I come across as somebody who's just like desperate for attention? Like, I just felt embarrassed by that statement. Ramika, you love to be loved. And so my first inclination was to just start apologizing for it. Like, I'm so sorry, because that's what I judged myself for when I heard him say that. I was like, I'm so sorry. Like, I just, I don't want to come across as somebody who's like attention seeking. He's like, did I say any of that? I was like, no. And he was like, okay. He was like, that's not what I meant by it. But you do love to be loved. And he's like, and it's not a bad thing. Like, you're also really easy to love. And 
I don't know that there's anybody who doesn't want to love you. And though I would argue that point, that's the nitty gritty and that's beyond the point that I want to make in this episode, but I'm sharing this with you because I know it to be true for myself. I think we have a lot more people pleasing to grow through. And I think the the most simplistic ways that it shows up is just trying to be relatable. And I think one of the things that is kind of one of those symptoms or byproducts of trauma is that you gain a lot of wisdom and wisdom in the sense that you just get a lot of experience getting exposed to a lot of different things. And so you can relate to a lot of people with a lot of, it's very niche, right? Like somebody can come up to you with the most niche experience and you could probably either imagine yourself in that situation or you've lived it because of what trauma has exposed you to. And it's so cool on one front because it allows you to really just connect with so many more people than the average person. And that's probably one of the coolest blessings I would say that comes out of trauma is just the amount of connection, the potential for connection that you have been given. Whether or not you've chosen to explore that, I'm telling you from experience, it is one of the coolest byproducts of trauma. And there's so many things that I attribute trauma to that I'm like grateful for. And I know it might sound twisted, but there's a point where you have to be willing to look for the good in some of the worst, darkest moments that have happened to you. And so that's one of the ways I choose to give credit and look for the good in the trauma that I've experienced is I just see it as a way to connect with so many people. Now, one of the hardest parts, though, to that is that you have to get come to terms with the reason why you're choosing to connect with a person. And that is going to be the most revealing about whether or not you should continue saying what you're getting ready to say in order to relate to that next person, right? And here's what I mean by that. I will catch myself sometimes trying to relate to people and the why when I ask myself the incentive is maybe they'll find me cool enough. Like maybe they'll find me fun to be around or funny or impressive or respectable or whatever, right? But you can't just stop there. Why then is that important? Why do you need people to see you as funny? Why do you need people to see you as respectable? Why do you need people to see you as interesting? And when I ask myself that question, that gets me to the true motivation to trying to connect with that person. Well, if they saw me as funny, if they saw me as respectable, if they saw me as important, then maybe I wouldn't be so easy to leave. I'll just let that sit in. Now, as sad as that realization is, that is it used to happen a lot more often than it does now because only because I'm aware of it. But what I realized was the things that I would say to people and the stories I would bring up in conversation and the ways that I would choose to connect with people 
would consistently lead me back to a fear of not wanting to be abandoned by other people. So what is it for you? And I want to encourage you to be willing to hold back from saying certain things or choose to say something else if it's stemming from a place of fear or insecurity. And what you'll start noticing is a shift in your conversations. You're willing to not just relate on stupid stuff anymore. And that's the thing. Like a lot of times what I would say, thinking that that was going to be perceived as interesting or respectable or funny to another person, when it stemmed from not wanting to be abandoned, it really wasn't so funny or interesting or respectable at the end of the day. A lot of times it would be self-sabotaging or it would talk down about myself in some kind of twisted way that I would make funny to myself or it was a relation to that other person that really wasn't a big deal in the grand scheme of things. Like, oh, I like potato chips, but I really don't. (laughs) I don't like potato chips. I prefer Doritos, you know, like that's not going to make or break a relationship at the end of the day. I don't need to relate to this person who loves potato chips or would eat potato chips every single day of their life. It's possible that we could still be friends and I like Doritos and they like potato chips. So it's even when you dig deep and you realize the intention behind what you're choosing to relate on or what you're choosing to say, if it is stemmed in insecurity, which is fear, it probably isn't a point that you want to connect with that person anyway. Now, in the same way, it's going to start filtering through people because there's some people who like potato chips that are going to be like, well, I like going to potato chip bars. I like eating potato chips. I like going to events that have potato chips at them. And that's the only, like they have different kinds of potato chips. And so if you're not into that, like that's where I'm at. (laughs) And so that's, you're not your person. You know, it's not your person. And I think that's probably where the fear could come up for you is that it then becomes this game of like, well, am I just going to keep weeding out people until I have no one left? And I would challenge that. I'm going to push back on that thought a little bit. And I'm going to say, no, I think it's going to start narrowing down the people that you would want to be around a lot sooner. You're going to spend a lot less time wasting your time on people who were never meant to be in your closest circle. There's this quote by Dr. Seuss, and it's that the people who mind don't matter, and the people who matter won't mind. And I don't know, maybe I'm getting like a word or they're off, but is that not the truest statement? The people who were meant to matter in your life, they really won't mind that you guys can't relate 
on these surface level issues. It won't matter, but they will. And the people who do care don't really need to have as much significance in your life about the things that don't matter. And so my challenge to you is just start exploring the way that you talk in conversations. Do you tend to try to relate to people? Is it stemming out of insecurity? What is your fear? That is the number one question I ask anyone who's close to me or anyone that I'm mentoring. I am constantly asking them when it's something that they're just having a really hard time letting go of. My number, my first question to you would be, what do you fear? What is your biggest fear that's going to happen? And for me, like I said, it's that, well, they're going to leave me. And then you have to be willing to, and this is my third and final point, and probably the most challenging, and some of you are just going to shut off the episode after you hear me say this, but I want you to let them. I want you to let them. And this isn't a concept or a theory that I came up with. I was actually scrolling through TikTok and I... I do this work for myself. I hope you know this. So I don't just, I don't have empty words. I try really hard not to have empty words. I told you in one of my other episodes that being genuine is one of my like deepest, greatest values in my own life. Let them as a concept that I saw when I was scrolling through for TikTok. And Mel Robbins, she kind of said it on her platform and it made it go viral. So a lot more people were exposed to it, but she actually didn't come up with it. But the concept itself is let people do what they were going to do anyway, without you trying to control them or the narrative. And that's powerful. Let them. Let people leave. Let people choose to leave the relationship with you. Let people go. Let people say something that reveals more of who they are. Let it mean more about them. What let them means is... Let them be them without you trying to control the outcome because it stems from a fear-based response. Your fear is keeping some of these people in your life that need to be let go from your life. You need to stop listening. You need to stop waiting their advice. They do not make decisions that you truly want to imitate because you don't truly want to live their life. So why not let them go? Let people stay. The people who are fighting for your time and your attention, but you're constantly busying yourself and so you're never available to the people who are truly going to be genuine, let them stay. They want to stay. Let them fight for you. Let them make room for your wants. 
without you trying to tell them why that's not something they want to do. You see, let them is all about releasing control, but you can only do it if you're willing to face whatever your fear is. Tell me, what about this was challenging to you? What about this do you want to apply in your life? What about being disliked is so hard for you? Let me know on Instagram. Shoot me a DM. Leave a comment. And we'll plan to talk soon.